There's a new addition to Coffee Shop Conversations this time. I asked saxophonist tap dancer Shoehorn, a.k.a. Michael Conley, to sit in my chair and lead the conversation with somebody he wanted to talk to. He's an entertaining guy, and I wanted to hear what he did with one of these things. He chose blues singer-guitarist Tevis Hodge Jr., who in the past few years has made quite a name for himself in the blues world. They've played together many times, and it's interesting to hear them talk musician to musician without being too technical. That's what I've liked about the story Shoehorn has written for OMN. So let's listen to him and Tevis Hodge Jr. Hi, everybody. This is Shoehorn. I'm the guest host of Coffee Shop Conversations here at Artichoke Music today. And our guest is Tevis Hodge, Tev, uh, Tevis Hodge Jr., who is a, a local blues man, and he's a younger man who's really carrying forward the tradition of the blues in our city. And uh, I'm really delighted to be able to sit down and talk to him today. Hi, Tevis. Welcome to Coffee Shop Conversations. Hello. Thanks for having me. And uh, let's start off with a little bit about your um, your background. And I wonder um, how you got interested in blues music. Who was your inspiration back in? Uh, I assume you were like a teenager when you got into it. Um, well, I started playing blues when I was like 12 or 13. So, yeah, I was pretty much a teenager. Um, and I kind of got into it through my family. On my dad's side of the family, they're African-American and from Georgia, so I grew up with this black Southern cultural influence mm -hmm. uh, when I was really young. And I started playing guitar when I was about six years old. So it sort of all kind of seemed to come together when I got old enough to sort of realize what was going on. And I started playing blues music consciously, you know, when I was about 11, 12, or 13 years old. And were you writing lyrics in those days about how grumpy your teacher was or <laughs> that girl you liked in the third row? Or Well, yeah, I was, actually. But I wasn't writing lyrics about that stuff. Uh -huh. uh, one thing that happened to me when I was about 10 years old is my father passed away, actually. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of channeled the blues uh, when that happened. And that was kind of one of the catalysts for me to really be into blues music because mm -hmm. uh, it sort of helped me process that that grief that's a great personal loss at that age yeah it is yeah that's very sad yeah and did you do other like kid stuff were you into skateboards or sports yeah. or any of that yeah i was i was i was into skateboards mm -hmm. i did some skateboarding i grew up playing video games uh -huh. um it's still kind of a hobby i do sometimes so You're like 32 or something? I'm 34 now. 34? Yeah. And w we must have met when you were just barely old enough yeah. to come into bars, I think. Yeah, was I was 21 probably. Yeah. When <laughs> you, is that when you started hanging out with baby Gramps? Um, that's when I started going to Gramps shows. Yeah, I yeah. started hanging out with Gramps about a year later, so I was 22. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's that's where we met, so we go back the last 13, 14 years. Almost, yeah. Yeah. Unless I might have, I might have met you before that. I don't know, but you know, I actually saw you play on the street when I was a teenager. Oh yeah, um, right. That's right. You said that before. Yeah, it was like during Christmas time around the the Nordstroms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let's let's talk about that for a second because I I think like busking is pretty misunderstood by a lot of people, especially 
in the USA, but uh, in Canada and Europe, it's pretty much respected as an art form. And yeah. a lot of our blues heroes were actually busking. Yeah. And Maxwell Street in Chicago was a famous scene, and all oh, these yeah. guys that were going around the South, however they traveled, right. and they did, I'm sure they did every kind of thing from hopping trains to buying a ticket right right um and some of them had their own automobiles yeah but they would play on the on street corners yeah definitely have you heard of blind boy fuller yes yeah apparently um the town he was from i can't quite remember but i think it was either south carolina or north carolina but i guess since he was blind he arguably had no other way to make a living so the town that he lived in designated him a corner where he could play uh, for tips, which no was, kidding. Yeah, one of the very few, you know, African American musicians who had such a thing. I've never heard of that before. Yeah, but I've fantasized about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like this is Shoehorn's Corner. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I had to fact check that. It's just something I heard. Yeah, I know. like that. But um, well, I spent some time in Asia, and many of the buskers in Asia are blind mm, okay. like in thailand for example when i went there um and that and massage therapists mm. is often done by by uh, blind people wow. but it, it there's a lot of blind fill in the blank with with the blues right yeah. blind <laughs> lemon jefferson yeah. blind boy phil um boy fuller yeah and yeah. then there's um blind blake blind blake yeah uh, blind Gary Davis or Reverend Gary Davis. Oh, I didn't realize he was... Uh, he was blind, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Sonny Terry was one of my idols, oh, and yeah. he was blind. Yeah. But, um, and Sonny Terry was a harmonica player, of course, and he had a long, long-running partnership with Brownie McGee. Yeah. And... Uh, but Sonny Terry did a lot of interesting things that you wouldn't expect a blind person to do. Like one time the promoter stiffed him and he shot the guy in the butt with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty famous story. It's pretty funny, you know, like, well, he must have been able to see a little bit. And that's a thing like people don't understand about blindness. Sure. You can be legally blind, but right. you can still see some stuff. Right. But uh, yeah. unfortunately, that club club promoter uh underestimated him <laughs> man <laughs> but you know like sunny it, it's interesting like you know talking about busking and stuff and w w one of the places i met sunny terry which i met him five times was in new orleans in jackson square and i recognized him getting his portrait taken wow you know by a street artist uh -huh. and i said hey it's sunny terry i was like so happy to see him yeah and uh, he had he had a jam session with us right there on the street. Really? Yeah. When he was done, his um, I had this friend who um, wasn't blind, but he only had one leg. When he played guitar, and then uh, I tap danced, and Sonny Terry played the harmonica. Wow! And he had a little pig nose amp. You know those pig uh -huh. nose amps? I think I do. It's a battery powered amp. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that. Uh, where, did you grow up in Georgia? No, well, I'm from Virginia originally. Virginia, but you had family in Georgia? Yeah, like my dad's family's heritage is from Georgia. They are all from Georgia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, 
did you go down there and hang out? Is, I never have been to Georgia, actually. You never been there? No, I have not. Um, so, what part of Virginia? I was born in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is, that, is like forty minutes south of D.C. Oh, okay. Is yeah. that close to Charlottesville? Um, I'm not sure. You ever go <laughs> back there? Yeah, I have. It's been a long time now. Uh huh. Yeah, I kind of want to go back again. Just because there's a lot of places to play. Yeah, and and Washington D.C. actually has a really cool blues scene. Oh, from sure. What I've learned yeah. Over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they have a long legacy of jazz and blues yeah. there in Washington. Yeah, that's kind of where some of my family is from. Like my dad was born in D.C. and oh yeah, I was born outside of it. You know. Uh -huh. so, yeah, I always kind of figured I would hey I would my I would be in D.C. if it weren't for the things that took me to the West Coast which was my mom, uh, pretty much, I moved with her to Utah, where her um, family lived at the time, so she could go to school, so we moved in with my grandpa on my mom's side. Oh, yeah. So she could go to school. Was that when you were a teenager? Mm, I was still pretty young. I was about five years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, but we would go back to Virginia once a year to visit. And then, my dad did you have like a mentor of blues music there, and like somebody teaching you guitar? Or no, what? it was all self-taught. Self-taught. I pretty much didn't have mentors until I moved to Portland. Did you make a guitar with a cigar box and a broomstick? I did actually. No kidding. Yeah, but with um, rubber bands. With rubber bands, right? That's classic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did do that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, for our listeners, I mentioned that because that's kind of a almost a trope among blues musicians <laughs> right. as they make their first guitar. Or sometimes yeah. they get a mail-order guitar right. or a pawn shop guitar. Yeah, yeah. The diddly bow is one of those. The diddly bow, right. Is, yeah. What, describe the diddly bow for diddly us. Diddly bow is like a one-string guitar kind of. Um, uh -huh. Traditionally, they would make it, um, I guess, like on a wall. Um, and you would, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they would hold the tension between two bottles on the wall and then you would just pluck the one string and use another bottle for a slide. So it's kind of like a one string slide instrument, but you could make it portable as well. Uh -huh. And typically you would make it out of a cigar box or something if you made it portable. Yeah, that's cool. Like, like, um, you know, the found, found instruments is a thing I'm interested in myself, um, Percussion, I do found percussion, but that can be anything from bucket drums to, yeah. uh, which I don't usually play, but um, I I like pot lids, yeah, because I like the tone, so mm -hmm. I I use pot lids, and you know it's just like a one off number in my show, but right. you know how it is with people, you got to keep their attention, so <laughs> right. it's it's fun if you have a different things going on when you're doing a, sure. especially doing a one man show, right, right. Now you do your singing and guitar playing. Yeah. You usually have two guitars with you, don't you? Um, yeah, usually I have two. Tell us why. Why why do you need two guitars? Well, I mean it's definitely good to have a backup in case you break a string or something. So there's that. Um I typically have one guitar in a different tuning. Uh huh. And then one guitar in standard tuning. So it, it's kinda more seamless on stage if I want to switch tunings. And do you have is one set up for slide and the other one for pick yeah, picking? Yeah, pretty or? much. Yeah, but you can change them back and forth if you want, right? Yeah, I can. Yeah, but the one op open tuning guitar would would be mostly for slide. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Because you know, some I mean, I mean, when 
sometimes when we played with with baby gramps we're going to refer to baby gramps a couple of times um, yeah. you guys can google him if you don't know know him but <laughs> the uh, inner don't tell him i t- i said you can google him because you know that's he might get the wrong idea but um we we played a lot with baby gramps and like with gramps you were often doing slide and then when yeah. we did another gig um uh, somewhere and then you weren't playing slide and went, oh, this guy can do all this other stuff, too. Yeah. And then I heard you playing electric, too. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really in. appreciate the acoustic blues thing. Mm-hmm. And those steel resonator guitars you get really project, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, it's and great for the street. T- yeah. Talk talk about those resonator guitars. What? Um, yeah, I have Nationals. Mm-hmm. There, there are other brands. Dobro famously also makes, makes resonator guitars. Mm-hmm. Uh, colloquially, if, you, if that's how you pronounce that word right, um, people will call a national a dobro, um, and that's not necessarily wrong, just because that's just common word wordage. I I found it it's better like if somebody goes that's a nice dobro son or something like that right. you you don't correct them actually it's a national right. so, you know what I mean it's like that yeah, gets yeah. a little bit weird yeah uh, but uh, so I I mean I used to tell people no this is actually a soprano sax not a clarinet or <laughs> sure. you know what i mean and like now i just gave up now <laughs> right, especially right. since i got a metal clarinet that looks like a real skinny soprano sax sure. but um those guitars are actually made out of brass aren't they um yeah brass or steel brass or steel Depends and it looks make. like a some of them even painted to look like wood yeah sometimes they're, they're painted to look like wood other times they're painted a random color that doesn't necessarily look like wood. Right. I have one that's like a, a light green. I love that light green one. Yeah. And it's got a beautiful uh, design on the back. Yeah. Like, that one's a um, an antique one. It's an original national. So that one's from 1932. Right. And that yeah. one has its own story. If you're a guitar <laughs> freaks, yeah. like, or I just like the old, the old, mu- the old right. musical instruments. I don't care if it's guitars or whatever. I mean, I just like... Like, I love old saxophones, which right. are junk to most people. Sometimes sure. you pick them up for, like, 50 bucks or something. But to me, they're they're treasures. But tell us about that one guitar, because that, wasn't that owned by a yeah, speakeasy owner or something? It's, it's a crazy story. The guy that sold it to me, at least. It's hard to say if it's, like, a real... It's hard to say if it's a true story. Apocryphal, in other words, <laughs> yeah. is the word. But uh, what I heard from him is that his dad bought it in 1935 um the dude i bought it from is already an older gentleman so that checks out Mm -hmm. um and apparently his dad bought it from a bootlegger um in chicago and the story is is that bootlegger got uh this guitar in a trade for booze from a blues player so According to the guy I bought it from the guitar was originally owned by a chicago blues player in the early 30s that's sad that you would trade your guitar to feed your addiction like that. <laughs> I hope you never get to that point. There's definitely a blues song in it's that. There's a blues song in that. You got to write a song about that guitar and that's Sure, yeah. You know, that that's that's another whole s- story you could right. go go for. But that's just a beautiful guitar and the the tone really projects. They've got this cone in there yeah. that's very delicate even though the guitar is built like a truck. Right. The, the, that cone inside which projects is very delicate yeah, and yeah. those get messed up but yeah and they have a really unique tone too yeah 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 they 
and and they got kind of a little buzz to them. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of them sound real tinny. You know, right. it kind of depends on the guitar. Right, right. But yeah. you got a good one there. I'm so happy for you. Thanks. Yeah. And then, um, so I, you know, I heard you playing slide first, and then I heard you playing the picking, and then I heard you do the other, um, uh, you know, the electric. So I, you're very versatile, and I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. And I remember when, you know, like when we were playing with Baby Gramps, who I started playing with Gramps monthly at the Laurel Thirst in 19, in 2000. Okay, wow. And man. we went 20 years before the pandemic shut that down. And sure. So, you know, Gramps has been a mentor to you and a lot of other yeah. guys your age and a little older. Yeah. And including me, I'm quite a bit older. But uh, he really takes people under their, his wing and, like, you know, he fosters that talent. And that he's. it was just really a nice thing to see. Um, right. You know, the he'd have you come up and do a set on your own. That's true, yeah. Sometimes when he was late, we would we would open yeah. this show, <laughs> and and that was just a great regular thing in my life for the, yeah. that twenty years when I back in those days when I started, I didn't have much going on in uh -huh. Portland, so yeah, I'd be playing the street at Christmas time. I'd sure. you know trying to do these different gigs, and I also produce gigs at theaters and whatever nice. and clubs, but. Um, you know, being a musician, you got to do a lot of stuff to to keep it going. Right. I play in four bands even now, right. and I do my own thing. And are, how about you? Do you have a few projects going? Well, uh, mostly what I do is solo stuff. Um, that's kind of my main thing. Uh, but I do have a band, you might call it. Mm -hmm. It's like a band that's still my solo stuff, kind of, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you call it the Tevis Hodge Trio. Nice. And I plug in half of that. So I still play acoustic for my trio. Mm -hmm. And some of it I plug in. So it's a nice versatile set. Um, other than that, I mean, I do play around with other people. Um, I actually played here at Artichoke with Lloyd-Jones I saw a, a clip from that with with LaRonda Steele. Oh, right? yeah. She sat in. Killer. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I open every Monday for the Bayou Boys. And I'll sit in with them. Um, On electric on electric, yeah. I'll sit in with them. Um, I play with Norman Sylvester. Not regularly, per se, but, you know, over the years, it's definitely pretty common for me to sit in with them as well. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that, too, because when we were hanging at the Laurel Thirst, I thought, you know, Tevis has got to meet Norman. And I don't know if you guys met at my suggestion or not, but I was definitely thinking that. And then... Yeah when you started getting together with Norman, I thought that was great because I also play with Norman. Right. Um, and you know, he gets, he's had some good saxophone players, uh, that play with him. Like Renato Caranto sure. is first call. So I don't mind being second, or, <laughs> you sure. know, like I, 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 you know, like I'm humbled to be in that. Right. Sometimes there's three of us. He's got there's Peter Moss. As Peter well, Moss right? is the other guy. And Peter is a, really an expert in all that um yeah you, you know he plays the baritone sax he's great he plays really good flute too, he's a great right? flute player yeah. yeah and uh so sometimes there's all three of us on the gig which is nice but um then there was a couple times when uh norman in his uh you know producing this big show he does at the at the uh, alberta rose and he 
featured us in a duo, which was really cool. That was really cool. Yeah, we did that twice, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, hopefully, we'll do that again because I love that. You know that whole show. You know, right? He's got the singers, and he's got yeah different singers and different stylistic things, and yeah, um, from ragtime to funk. <laughs> you know, I've been here thirty years in Portland, and you know. Norman has branched out a lot over the years and, and, yeah. you know, broadened his, uh, stylistic, uh, you know, uh, thrust, you know what I mean? He plays, right. he, he, and so it, it's really fun to play with him. Yeah. And, um, we just played a gig out in Mosier a couple, about six oh, weeks cool. ago. It was killer. Well, you know, I, you can see that on my TikTok and YouTube channel, by the there way. Uh, no, TikTok and Instagram. Okay. Um, it's good times with Norman Sylvester at Mosier or something like that. But uh, yeah, are you doing the TikTok and the Instagram and everything? I do Instagram, uh, Facebook, and then I have a website. And that would be, what's the? Um, TevisHodgeJr.com. Great, great. Yeah. yeah, I really urge our listeners to check out Tevis. Uh, come to his live gigs. Uh, support him, um, and you're not going to be disappointed because he's the real deal. Didn't you go to Memphis and win some prize or yeah, something? Yeah, in 2014, I went to Memphis for the International Blues Challenge, which is like a yearly competition, basically. Um, and I represented Oregon in the solo-slash-duo category. Mm -hmm. There's a solo-duo category and a band category. Mm -hmm. So I play semifinals. Uh, which is, I guess, pretty good, especially for your first time. That's pretty good. Is it yeah. is it hipper than uh, America's Got Talent? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely hipper than that in the blues scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> and did you feel right at home there in Memphis? Um, it was really cool. I really liked being there. It was cool to see all the different musicians and get all the different takes on, you know, what the blues could be or what it could sound like. Um, it was really fun. Did B.B. King have a club there? Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. I believe he did. Yeah, so... He was uh, originally from Mississippi, but right. he kind of broke it big in Memphis, I believe. Well, it's very close to Mississippi. Right. Yeah. yeah. And if you're geography, you know, pull out your map and you'll see, like, northern Mississippi and right. Memphis are pretty close. And so, and like, Elvis was around there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of, interestingly, saxophone players have moved to Nashville mm -hmm. and Tennessee. You know, like they call Nashville Music City. Right. But then Memphis has got this blue thing, blues thing going on. Totally. And then just north of there, Indiana, was where they did the first uh, records. Oh, right. Right. And there was a lot of crossroads. Yeah. You know, so I guess the crate diggers, that part of the country people looking for old wax or right. old vinyl they find a lot of stuff down there don't they old shellac shellac yeah <laughs> yeah so they that's where they made all those uh, i forgot the name of the place there's a there's a town in grafton or something indiana maybe yeah there's something one like town that. where they and it was like a crossroads between the north the south and the east yeah. and the west and everybody went through there yeah yeah i believe Louis Armstrong recorded there sure. with Hoagie Carmichael and, wow. you know, people talk about Louis Armstrong and his jazz thing, but 
he was a blues man, you know, come yeah, sure. thir- through and through. Right. And I think people overlook the connections between all these different forms of music or genres right. in our uh, in our country, yeah, you know. Yeah. But as a saxophone player coming up, I found, oh, well, especially when I was down on Bourbon Street, mm-hmm. there'd be a country band, there'd be a funk band, there'd be like some jazz bands, like kind of like uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears type of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, there was funky sax players. There was trad, right. more trad sounding cats. Yeah. But there's a common thread in all of it. Right. And it also relates to gospel and sure. folk, the, our folk music and uh, a lot of our songbook yeah. material. It, it, and that's what I like about guys like you and some of our friends yeah. who play the old. Right. They call it Americana sometimes. Sometimes. But yeah. it's like, I mean, that's just another old timey, old timey. But yeah. it's like, yeah, they're actually playing jazz right. standards yeah. and they don't play all the fancy tritone subs and stuff like that, if you know what that means. But uh, if you don't, yeah, yeah. another Google opportunity <laughs> for you, a uh, tritone sub. Uh, but, you know, like there's a lot of hip stuff you can do, but actually just playing those old songs, they have nice chord structures oh, yeah. and beautiful structures that you can improvise on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's jazz, basically. Yeah, and I've seen you... Uh, branch out into some of that stuff yeah definitely yeah sometimes baby grams kind of inspired me to play some of that material Uh, absolutely yeah Yeah, i think gramps is a a catalyst for a lot of stuff like that and uh well you know with gramps you got to talk about palindromes (laughs) that's your favorite thing (laughs) no it's not my favorite thing about gramps but it's one of my the things that I, I mean, I learned a lot from Gramps and I'll say like, in all seriousness, like the rhythmic things and his time feel is so elastic, yeah. but it's really happening. You know, it's like, right. boom, you know, it's like, it's right in the pocket, yeah. but some, sometimes things float and stretch, Yeah, which I really think that that is something that a lot of people lose today because of like, everything's recorded to the clock, you know, right. Click tracks has to be tuned to four forty. And well, that's okay. (laughs) But like click tracks can be annoying, you know, like I I can't imagine gramps with a click track. No, but I totally feel like the time with him. Yeah. And it comes from his left foot. And it also like translates to my left foot as like, as the tap dancing. Gotcha. Saxophone player of the band. Mm hmm which there are actually two, but because another guy came along, a guy your age came along that tap dances and plays sax. He doesn't do them at the same time like me. Yeah, not quite, But I would be the drummer in the band when we were doing like a duo or a trio, Mm -hmm. and our friend, the late uh, Curtis. Oh, yeah, uh, Curtis Chamberlain. Curtis Chamberlain. We called him King Curtis sometimes or uh, Red Poppy. (laughs) Anyway, he was from St. Helens, and he was a jug band instrumentalist. He played the jug. He played the kind of a folk music legend in his own right. Great guy. And sadly, he passed away about 10 years ago. Was it that long ago already? At least, yeah. But but so we were a trio for that first record we made. 
right. uh, called Haas Radish. Yeah. And I was the drummer with my feet. Uh-huh. And like my left foot was like pretty much locked in with Gramps' left foot. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I had so much freedom. Yeah. And it was really great, but it also influenced, you know, I I think one thing about us as musicians is we can continue to develop yeah. throughout our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully we're going to keep learning. So um, I'd already had my thing together for 20 years, but right. uh, yeah, about, um, about 20 years, but um, I kept learning, you know, from Gramps. And then one thing that happened was like he does this song about palindromes and they're goofy some of them are goofy you know but that palindromes for those of you who don't know are words that read the same backwards and forwards right and so about 10 years ago i started using the palindromes to make myself go to sleep <laughs> so i'll write them in my head while i'm trying to lay in there trying to sleep and then it's a double thing because not only are you working your brain to get the figure out of palindromes yeah it's a the big challenge is remembering it in the morning <laughs> right because i don't write them down right in my bed because i don't have a pen and paper or a light right. or anything. so yeah so gramps inspired me in that respect as yeah. well yeah. yeah the palindrome thing is super cool yeah. I've never been very good with words, so it always kind of intimidated me. Like a lot of them he he did, I just trusted him that it was a palindrome. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cuz they were so big. The Some palind- of them are long, yeah. <laughs> it was like, okay, I guess that's a palindrome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people it's one way to like lose people. And then once sure. in a while you find somebody that just thinks it's uproariously in- interesting. Right. And right. then then that's bad because then I'll I won't stop. What was one? What was a palindrome that Gramps would say a lot? Do you remember? Oh, one? Gramps would say like, uh, "Go hang a salami. I'm a lasagna hog." And <laughs> see what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like okay, I guess that's a palindrome. No, it is. No, I. I that yeah. one's pretty easy to right. to figure out. Yeah. Um, hog and go go hang. Go hang a yeah. salami. I'm a lasagna hog. And. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I started, I, I came up with a few, like, um, trap set animal laminates part. Wow. <laughs> That's, like, about overdubbing in the studio. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Laminates, yeah. layering. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't want to go too long on those. Right, but uh, right. I got another one that relates to me. It's kind of braggish, but it's okay. sex. As no solo spirit, I rip solos on saxes. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That, that's a funny one, I think. Some of them are funny. Some of them are... It's just kind of amazing to me, because the way my brain is, I wouldn't really be able to come up with that. That's just the way I am, though. <laughs> no, you, I, I think you could. But, sure. you know, that's like when people say, oh, I could never speak another language. Sure, sure. Yes, you could. You, right. It's just... you. You know, like, look how many people learn a second language or a third language. Right, right. Not most. And a lot of people, like me, I speak several languages, but um, I love it. Right. I love it because every, it gives me two or three different ways to look at the same thing. Right, right. So whether it's just like the word for apple. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I've got three different, three or four different ways to 
to say that. And that actually influences, you know, the whole, I think everything. What I liked about it uh, when Graham's would do it is, um, even though it was hard for me to follow, it was kind of like really trippy and it sort of kind of made me question reality. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh, whoa, what is happening right now? And, and talk a little bit about Gramps' guitar playing and if that influenced Oh, yeah, you. he was amazing. Um, definitely. He played the old Nationals like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. However, he wasn't the first guy to inspire me to play Nationals. Right. The first guy was Sun House, who oh, yeah. obviously I never met. Right. But um, I was inspired by him at a pretty young age. Yeah. So when I saw Gramps, it was pretty much the first time I saw the old National being played in person right and uh, um his playing is yeah amazing he's amazing right yeah he does yeah. like extended techniques yeah yeah he does really really crazy finger picking techniques he does um some straight up jazz yes crazy jazz chords yes um he'll detune his e string to a drop d and he'll he'll play like drone notes you know mm -hmm. with the d's while he's playing melodies on the upper strings. Yeah. Um, yeah. His, and the way he like his time, like you said, is like flexible or, yeah. or like elastic. Um, elastic is a good word. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's amazing. Amazing it, musician. Like he got some speed chops in there too. Like, yeah. He can you know, rip. <laughs> yeah. The fan picking. And he, then he, you don't think it's rock and roll and then he'll just bust out some rock and roll. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, yeah, he's uh, amazing. What's that one song he does that Robert Mitchum one that he talks about? Oh, the uh, something road. Yeah, Thunder Road. Thunder Road. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great number. Yeah, and Gramps is a really really crazy artist, and an artist is like the perfect word for him, uh, because randomly he'll play a whole song in minor chords when he normally plays it regular. And for Thunder Road, I remember he ended up switching it to all minor chords, and then he liked it that way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know? <laughs> yeah, he's unpredictable for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and then I like that thing where he plucks down. Oh, yeah. Like down on the other, like the short right. strings, like on the other side of the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he plucks a whisker while right. he's doing it with his other hand, and it sounds like yeah. like plucking a whisker. Yeah, all yeah, these, yeah, like, guitar tricks and whatnot. Yeah, tricks and... Yeah. yeah, that stuff was really inspiring to me. Yeah, yeah. And so then you got, um, you know, also kind of mentored also by, by Norman Sylvester, yeah. who's, you know, like, I've... He's, like, the father of the scene here now. Definitely. He's yeah, we met in probably 2012 or 2013. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he's been a really, uh, he's been really helpful to me for my career. Yeah. You know, and definitely a mentor, not necessarily musically, definitely musically, but also, you know, professionally as well, yeah. business wise. He's a good businessman. You know, he, he's he's very he's well organized and he's yeah. got his, his stuff together and everything he, that I'm not, <laughs> you know, I you know, I love working with him because I always know that I'm going to get paid a decent amount. Right. We're going to have a good presentation. Yeah. Uh, there's usually kind of food. He's going to show up on time. Everything's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot. He, he takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. 
It's true. You know you're going to get something good, and right. the people love him. Yeah, he's people. great. Yeah. He's a crowd pleaser. And his daughter, Lenann, I oh, love yeah. her. And it's very inspiring to work with that family. Yeah. And um, They're kind of like extended family to me. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm really pleased that that came together with with all of us. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, and I look forward to the next time we get to play together. Yeah, we which, should plan something. Yeah, we should plan something. That'd be cool. Maybe we can do something here at Artichoke. Oh yeah, might be cool. Yeah, yeah, because it's I I sort of I don't know how you feel, but I sort of gave up on like stalking club owners to get gigs. Mm-hmm. It's like really annoying, you know. Like yeah, like I know. <laughs> um. Club owners, if you're out there, hit me up. <laughs> you know, I'm reasonable to work with. Yeah. But I used to do shows around here at the, uh, there was a place called um, The Vine Leaves okay. at Hawthorne, around 22nd and Hawthorne. It's now called The Hideaway. Okay. We did some epic shows in that place. The Blue Monk. Oh, I remember The Blue Monk. I actually released a live CD from The Blue Monk. Cool. That we recorded with artists as Spoonman. Oh yeah, yeah. And Dan Gaynor, phenomenal piano player, and uh, Para Soto, who's an incredible guitar player from Catalonia wow. in Spain. Cool. Lefty, left-hand guitar player. Um, you would like to meet him because yeah. he he he's a master of the Django mm, nice. stuff, the the hot club stuff, but he also plays like modern jazz and cool. Uh, free jazz and everything. Sounds great. Very free mind. I like that like his mind is super free to go all these different places, but he's got mega chops. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> well, Tevis, this has been really fun to talk with you. I feel like we could talk for another 15 minutes or more i don't know but um is there anything else you want to say when's Um, your next gig when's my next gig that's a good question i will be playing thursday at um uh star day tavern okay that's another place for uh, that should be on the map for for our listeners star day star day tavern what are some of the venues you play like yeah so i play at star day tavern um once a month i'll be i'm there every second thursday i think cool um, that's in the uh, Foster, Southeast Foster neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, I play at the Spare Room once Love a that month. place. Yeah, me too. I've been playing there uh, once a month pretty regularly for about eight years or so. That's nice. Um, minus the pandemic years. Whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and then I play at Rose City Coffee pretty regularly. That's by the Aladdin Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, they have music there every Saturday. So if you happen to live over there, check it out. Um, I mean, I play at Artichoke Music, played here last Friday. Um, I play at Farmer's Markets, um, stuff so, like that. So you can follow Tavis Hodge Jr. on Instagram. Instagram and Facebook. Facebook. And I have a website as well. He's got a website. I have a website also, shoehornmusic.com. Nice. I'm on Instagram as Mike on Shoehorn. That's M-I-C-O-N Shoehorn. I'm on TikTok. There you go. Uh, I'm not even on TikTok. TikTok is pretty <laughs> fun. It's like the most compelling, I think. But That's cool. Um, we want to thank OregonMusicNews.com and Tom D'Antoni. And this has been the Coffee Shop Conversation. And thank you for listening. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you.